This is Foul Players Radio, your podcast for arts, entertainment, and pop culture. Welcome. My name is Michael Spedden, your host. Every episode features fun, fascinating stories about people in the performing arts, actors, authors, dancers, writers, musicians, athletes, you name it. Folks who are center stage, backstage, on camera, or behind the scenes. Sit back and listen. Let's have some fun. Foul Players Radio is a proud production of the Foul Players Group and the official podcast of the Foul Players of Perryville. Hello, this is John Piat, Kevin Schmidt, and Jerry Bozick. And we're, we're August, a little band from Virginia. You can hear our story, other stories from the legendary Baltimore, D.C. music scene, and much, much more with Michael Spedden on Foul Players Radio. You can find it at www.foulplayersradio.com, on YouTube, and wherever you find podcasts online. Keep, Keep rocking. rocking. Hey, you guys, this is Gina Shock, drummer of the Go-Go's. Snowman here. Hey, Mary Jo Peel here. Hi, this is Kathy Ladman. Hi, this is Jay Nedry from the Road Ducks. This is A.D. Adams, and you are tuned in to Foul Players Radio with your host, Michael Spedden. And welcome again, folks. Michael Spedden here, Foul Players Radio. Tonight's guest is Rose Earl Julian West, the author of Reflections, My Journey on Aruna. I really enjoyed this book. It's the story of her life from childhood to early adulthood, growing up in her family's home on Aruna Avenue in West Baltimore from the 1950s until the early 1970s, and how the historical, social, and political events of the time shaped her life experiences. She also shared some interesting stories of her time working at Baltimore radio stations, WFBR and WBAL. The links to her book are in the show notes, uh, reflectionsmyjourney.com and amazon.com slash books, and then search for the title of the book, Reflections, My Journey on Aruna. If you are interested in professional comedic entertainment in your venue or fundraiser or other event, please consider a murder mystery from the Foul Players of Perryville. For bookings and other information, please call 443-600-0446, email us at foulplayersperryville at yahoo.com, and our website is www.foulplayersofperryville.com. Don't miss the back of the rack, the Michael Spedden Show on 97underground.com, Baltimore's Pure Rock Worldwide, where we feature songs you forgot you liked, current and classic local rock, hard rock, and metal classics that never die. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. You can listen on your computer, download the app, and you can listen anywhere you go, 97underground.com. We at Foul Players Radio are proud to support artists and encourage you to consider shopping small and supporting them as well. Links to their books, albums, tickets to their show, and other items can be found in the show notes of every episode. We thank you for tuning in and listening. Remember, you can help us greatly by clicking the like and subscribe buttons and giving us a fair review. Our main website is foulplayersradio.com, and our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash at foulplayersradio. We'll be right back with Rose Earl Julian West right after these words. Hi, this is Bud Becker. Hi, everybody. Dwight Weems from Gaz the Fun Band. Hi, folks. This is Jay David. Hey, this is Brian Damage from Kicks and Rhino Bucket. Hi, this is Kim of Kim's Crip. Hello, my name is Gunil Carling. Hi, this is Paul Castiglia, and you're listening to Foul Players Radio, the one-stop shop for all your pop culture needs. And welcome back, folks, to another episode of Foul Players Radio. Michael Spedden here. 
Tonight, our guest is Rose Earl Julian West. Uh, she is the author of a book, Reflections, My Journey on Aruna, about her life growing up in Baltimore in the 50s and 60s. And it was an excellent, excellent read. Uh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, I really enjoyed this book, um, and I, I couldn't put it down. I was reading it on vacation, and um, you just have one great story after another, you know, from the time you were uh, just a little kid all the way through, um, you know, your you know, early adulthood. And I just really enjoyed it. Um, you know, I highly recommend this book, folks. You're really going to enjoy it, too, I'm sure. Um Looking in the beginning of the book, I mean, you really got some praise from some really, um, you really got some nice praise from some pretty notable people here. Um, you know, Mayor Schmoke, uh, Ron Matz, Linda Foy, um, you know, uh, looked like um, Edward Dickman may have been the, um, related to the doc or the pharmacist who was friends with your father. Yes. And, um, so tell us, what brought this about here? What kind of inspired you to uh, want to tell your memoirs, especially from this time of your life? Well, um, some people ask why I decided um, to publish a memoir instead of a book of fiction. And to me, it was quite simple. I wanted to uh, inform readers about my roots mm -hmm. and my heritage. But I also wanted to explain some of the experiences I had growing up in West Baltimore during what I call gentle and turbulent times. And they were indeed gentle and turbulent. Um, they were times which truly inspired me to pursue a career in broadcast journalism. Mm -hmm. Things that things that happened locally and nationally, um, historically speaking. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to do something that was um, a bit more innovative uh, to create a book that people outside of my family and friends would relate to. Um, and um, that's why I meshed my coming-of-age stories. Um, these are stories about innocence, curiosity, um, grief, social uh, awareness. Um, I meshed them with the taste of local politics and um, culture and history mm -hmm. and uh, what was happening during that time in Baltimore. And beyond. And what I really would wanted to get across was what was it like to be a starry eyed young black girl living in Baltimore during the late um, 50s, 60s and early 70s. So I wanted to pass that information along because nowadays it seems that people are reticent to share information about themselves, about their past, about their heritage. But I feel like this is something that should be shared because it paves the way for people to have a better understanding beyond their own situation of what people are doing, what they're like, what is their culture, what is their history. And they can better relate to what is going on in today's world. I think you told the story again. Um, I wasn't you know, born yet uh, during a lot of these uh, things here, but um I think you know, going through and giving an eyewitness account as to um, you know not only you know things that were in your very own home, but how the things going on in the world around you you know affected you and affected other people in your life and um, you know affected how things were in the city and you know everything. 
you, you, I think you really told it well, and it was very a very interesting perspective. I thought um, of you know history and what life was like at that time. Um, you know, and you know all the people in the book, you know your family members and everything. I really enjoyed you know reading about them as well. Um, you know, talking about you know um, some of the things I found interesting. You know, your um, father. You know, came from the South, and it was not, it was a very, you know, difficult area to live in being an African American man, um, you know, becoming a doctor. Um, and I was just looking at what you had mentioned in there how, um, you know, uh, a white nurse was not allowed to help an African American person. Um, you know, I just, I, I can't even imagine how your father you know, was even able to get through medical school at that time, um, with all the restrictions and all these, you know, just awful laws that were in place. Yes. And it, not only my father, but all of his siblings uh, managed to graduate the first, mm -hmm. first ones to graduate in our family, um, from a school in, um, Indiana called DePaul University. Yeah. They also, they all earned their degrees in various, various professions, mm -hmm. including social work, education, and medicine. Right, right. And, you know, everybody became, you know, professional. And, you know, I can see that I guess it would have been your grandparents really saw to it that they, you know, stuck with it and really, you know, got these things accomplished. And I can tell that rubbed off on, you know, your father and the way he raised you and your siblings too. Um, yes. you know, making sure that all of you, you know, got something under your belt, found something that you were good at and, um, was able to pursue it. Um, yes, education was of prime importance in our family. Oh, yeah. um, based on the history of of my aunts and my uncles having gone down that road and mm -hmm. and pursued their careers and and in in these uh, different professions, my uncle um, Percy he was uh, a chemist mm -hmm. and he was um, he was um, when he was on campus he had to he didn't have didn't live in the dorm room he lived in a separate room because of segregation and but he managed to go through the whole. Um, uh, course curriculum, earn his degree, and um, become this renowned chemist who um, had um, earned um, uh, such such fame from his discoveries and his his inventions. Uh -huh. um, like the um, um, he was able to create artificial cortisone, which enabled um, a lot of patients to. Um, a cure for arthritis. Wow. And there were other drugs that he invented based on the use of soybeans. Is that right? Who knew? You know, I mean, just something like a soybean that you take for granted. I mean, you see them growing in the field, you know, they're edible, but wow, really just taking the, you know, that's just amazing being able to figure that stuff out just from a simple soybean. I mean, that's quite, so. and then I mean, something that's obviously in need right now, especially as we get older, you know, we all have our uh, snap, crackle and pop when we get out of bed in the morning. And, uh, you know, that, you know, coming up with that kind of, uh, you know, cortisone to help ease that pain is just amazing. I mean, something that's mm -hmm. definitely in need. Um, yes. yeah, um, another thing that I saw that I thought that I found was interesting um, was that the house that your family uh, bought on Aruna um you had bought from um, a family where a, a couple who um, uh, you brought it from a lady whose husband was a doctor who just passed away. Was this somebody that your father knew or had maybe mentored him or 
Did they know Absolutely each other? Absolutely not. He was no? a complete stranger. But oh. this particular doctor was uh, was well known in West Baltimore. He actually practiced medicine in the basement of our house, the house on Aruna. Yeah. But he also practiced um, medicine in two other locations in, in on the west side of the city. So he okay. was well known. He was a graduate of the University of Maryland Medical School. Oh. And uh, when my parents um, saw this house from the outside, they just they just loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a corner house and it was, um, unlike any other in the neighborhood, it had, um, it, apparently it was developed by the, the architecture, the architect rather had lived there mm-hmm. for a time. It was built in 1923. So today it's a hundred years old, but it's wow. a fabulous home inside. It was, um, 15 rooms, mm-hmm. all with hardwood floors, high ceilings. Uh, chandeliers, um, bay windows. Mm-hmm. It had uh, three uh, porches, one with awnings, with an awning. Mm-hmm. It had the sun deck. It had a garage. So it was unlike any of the other homes that were in that in that neighborhood at the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I just, I mean, when I was little, I just thought I was living in a castle in a mansion. It was so beautiful, and it was really tragic what happened to it over the years. Right, right, and, and and that that tends to happen no matter where you go. Um, you know, I, I know so many people who grew up in their houses. Uh, they, they went back and visited the houses they grew up in, and they took one look at it. They're like, "Oh my God!" You know, I can't believe they did that. Whether mm-hmm. it just be neglect or something like that, or you move in and people just put in, they just make it look awful because of bad taste or whatever. But. Um, that happens. But I mean, the way you described the house and some of the pictures that you showed inside, um, one thing I always liked about Baltimore houses was that those stained glass windows that you had pictures of in there. That's yes. really part of the folk appeal, I think, of anywhere you go in the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of right there with like the screen art and, um, you know, a lot of the houses that had the marble steps in front, just right. kind of a trademark there, you know. Yes, yes indeed. Yes indeed. And it was it was um it was originally a brick home, but my father had it covered with um, something called formstone, which mm, is yes. uh, a, uh like a masonry work yep. with uh with a, a stone. Mm. And um this is this was a product that was created and produced in Baltimore. It's mm-hmm. well known. A lot of homes in the city um at that time had the formstone facing on the front. Mm-hmm. So that's another piece of history that people didn't know. Yeah, well, don't I know it? Um, I, I'm growing up in Dundalk. Um, my grandparents lived in um, it was a brick row home, and it was built in the early '50s. And these, this style, I, I'm willing to bet it was the same developer. If you drive up Moravia Road before you get to um, oh, Moravia Road before you get to um, Sedonia. Mm-hmm. Those houses, um, there, there's also a, like a couple of developments like that in Arbutus, uh, Middle River. I think you know the houses I'm talking about. And yes. I can remember as a kid, Formstone salesmen coming around, not doing the whole house, but just doing like the area around the doorway. Mm-hmm. And I remember the day they were there putting it on. You know, they had the molds and everything that went up. And um, that was something very, very popular. That, that, and that's really, again, a Baltimore trademark right there, I think, too. It is. And one of my favorite photographs of me and my siblings is us sitting on the wall on the Formstone wall near the garage. 
Um, and what struck me about that that picture, it is in the book, is mm-hmm. the, the form stone wall and um, our dangling our legs across it. And then my my youngest brother was the only one in that picture who had a short leaf shirt on and a bow tie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and every time I see that, I laugh. Why did he have a bow tie? <laughs> Don't remember why. <laughs> right, right. Another story that you had mentioned was, and this is something that I can remember my grandmother and my great grandmother telling me. Um, you know, Sunday for the girls, you had your dress on and you stayed clean and you were not outside running around. Um, I can remember my great grandmother telling me stories about her really getting in trouble for leaving the front porch in her Sunday clothes back then. <laughs> and um, that was really something your grandmother drove home to you, huh? She sure did. There was there was no no pants and no bicycle riding on Sunday. And you wore dresses. Girls wore dresses, not pants. And Sunday was the Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that that was the thing that back then with her. Yeah, it sounds. And the other thing, too, that you had mentioned that I remember um, even out in Dundalk was the. Uh, they called them the street Arabs or their Arabbers, um, selling fruit, vegetables, and everything. They always had a pony with their cart. Um, right. And they were, and years ago, I mean, they were all over the place. Um, I mean, you don't see them out. I mean, I know I haven't seen them in Dundalk in thirty years. You know, I mean, I don't live there anymore, but I stopped seeing them out there at least in the early nineties. But I think you know, there's a few still in the city. Yes. Um, but I those guys always had the best fruit, man. I tell you, you could get they you know, did. The, the peaches. I remember the... <laughs> I remember my father buying many a watermelon and a cantaloupe and mm-hmm. you could hear the horses coming down the street with the bells and, and yep. they um and the rappers would yell out, Watermelon, cantaloupe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something yep. you miss. My neighborhood it was strawberries, you know, like that too. <laughs> And, yes. um, and I'll tell you what, it was well worth getting it from them too. I mean, you could hear them coming, you go, you run through, you get your change together and everything. And, uh, it was, just like the ice cream man. Yeah. 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 But sometimes we even, always came around, came around at dinner time when we were finishing up eating our dinner and we have to keep lapping it up and get money and, and hurry and run down the street to catch the truck. Yep. Yep. And you hear the, you know, the, uh, the songs, you know, I think you had mentioned Turkey in the straw was the one that you, Mm-hmm. You hear that one, and then I had, in our neighborhood, they used to rotate. I guess they were on some sort of tape or something or some kind of loop where you would get that one, and you'd get a whole bunch of other ones where you know the melody, but you don't know the name of the song, but you've heard it right. you know, a million times. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And um, and uh, sometimes they, w- they wouldn't stop right away. You end up having to chase them down the street for dear life. Mm-hmm. Thinking that they're going to get away from you. <laughs> and, yes, um, yes, yes. Get out of breath. Yep. And, um, and some of the other things that you had mentioned too, um, uh, the pranks, um, the phone calls, you know, <laughs> calling up and asking people, you know, we used to do that too. You know, back in those days, you could get away with it, you know, because there was, there was no, no caller ID. Right? Yeah. No caller ID. No member star 69. Right. It, you could, you know, people could hit that and catch you. And, um, in no caller ID, no star 69, no anything. And once you hung up, it was over with, and there was no way to really trace it. And yeah, unless you got uh, caught by your parents. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was the that other prank thing that we pulled on um, that prank that we pulled. Um, well, my brother really pulled with the record player and mm-hmm. uh, the Indy, Indy 500 race car sound <laughs> down the alley at 11 o'clock at night. 
and the <laughs> lights flipping on in the alley with the houses. People mm -hmm. apparently were going to sleep or had been asleep, and the lights were flicked on every single mm -hmm. one. And um, we, we would have gotten away from that if, if it hadn't been so loud. Mm -hmm. And my father had just finished his office hours downstairs and had come up in the kitchen, which was right above the bedroom, was right above the uh, kitchen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got caught on that one. Mm-hmm. That is um I, I, I never would have thought to have done something like that, but that that is that's a great prank right there. Um you know, he, and nobody's expecting that after dark. Um No, no. <laughs> no, no, no. But we in the chapter called uh, Midnight Madness, that was when we really pranked. Mm -hmm. That was the chapter in that chapter, we um kept my grandmother up all night long. Doing, making uh, awful noises, gross noises, telling <laughs> jokes, um, doing things from the Wizard of Oz, and um, it's my my grandmother, of course, she was elderly, but she shared a room across from my sister and I room, mm -hmm. and uh, we just felt like she was she wasn't coming in her room, she wasn't coming out of her room, get out of her bed and come to our room and tell us to stop, and right, she's right. not going to bring her strap. We just knew it, so we took advantage of that. And uh, this went on like all summer long. And my parents never knew about it because my grandmother, she loved us so much. She never told them. She never told them what happened about our bad behavior. Oh, yes. Yeah. She was too busy feeding you waffles <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> yeah, the waffles. Yes, yes, yes. Yep. That story was funny. Mm -hmm. um, my um, parents had gone away to uh, my father's college reunion at DuPaul. Mm -hmm. And my brother, my oldest brother, went with them. So that left my youngest brother and my sisters and I there. And um, our housekeeper, Mary, who was a devoted member of our, she was just like a family member. Sure, yeah. Um, so um, she asked us what we wanted for dinner. Mm -hmm. And we said, how about some waffles? <laughs> so she said, oh, hmm, okay, waffles. So that was Friday night dinner. So Saturday came along and um, she asked, she said, uh, what do you want for dinner? Now, this was this was very unusual because in our family, kids were never asked what they wanted for dinner. You got you were served what your mother. Served oh, yeah. But mm -hmm. so this was like an honor. This was like an unusual event in our house. So she said, how about some nice fish? So. My youngest sister, she said, Grandma, I don't want no pish. She said, <laughs> pish. So I looked at her and said, did she really say pish? Because that sounded like she said something else. And I know she doesn't know that word. <laughs> so my grandmother just kind of rolled her eyes and she said, OK, um, well, if you don't want fish, then what do you want? So we said waffles. Mm -hmm. So this went on Saturday night. We had um, Saturday for lunch. We had waffles <laughs> and uh, sausage. And um, then um, the Saturday night, we asked, she asked again. She said, what do you guys want for dinner? And she said, um, I know I'll just fix some nice pot of spaghetti. And my sister said, no, 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 grandma. I don't want Pischetti. She said, that's not Pischetti. She said, that's spaghetti. And then she rolled her eyes and said, gosh, you sang that word again. <laughs> so <laughs> so mm -hmm. she ended up, she said, Mary, Mary being a housekeeper, she said, 
fire up that waffle iron. Mm-hmm. So we had we had waffles on on um, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and Sunday morning. And mm. when our parents came back, my um my mother asked if we had been behaved ourselves. Of course we did. She said, "Well, what did you all eat while I was away?" And I said, "Waffles." She said, <laughs> and what else? I said, "Waffles." <laughs> and she just couldn't believe that. We ate waffles, so that ended our waff- great waffle weekend. Was mm-hmm. one we will, we will always remember waffles mm-hmm. and with king syrup. Oh yeah, oh yeah, that's another that's another tra- <laughs> trademark of Baltimore right there too. Yeah, king yeah. syrup. I think I had some similar weekends with my grandparents, but it was Squire's Pizza instead of waffles. But uh, same kind of thing, you know, the same kind of thing. And, um, that was a uh, grandparents were great. You know, um, you could go over there and get whatever you wanted. Um, their kitchen actually was a cafeteria as compared mm-hmm. to, uh, and as you had mentioned too, as we were growing up, um, you know, these are your options for dinner, you know, uh, what's on this plate and what's on this plate. And that was all there was. Um, and very often you sat there until it was gone. Yeah, you know. or you hid, or you hid your peas and your vegetables under the table, under the table, <laughs> or in a, or in a napkin. Yep, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So, um, as you were, you know, just looking at some of the historical, you know, things that had happened at the time, and you, you know, just just talking about how you know you remember them, um, you know, you had mentioned the um. You know, the Kennedy assassination, uh, you had mentioned Martin Luther King's march and how you and your sisters wanted to go. Um, but your father ended up taking your brothers and tell us a little bit about those things too. You know, what, what that was like, you know, living through these things and just, you know, your memories of that time. Yes. Um, well, um, as far as the march in Washington was concerned, um, I was just proud to know that my father was going to be going to this historic march to mm-hmm. represent our family. And uh, especially given um, given our heritage, um, my father's uh, uh, grandparents were um, for former slaves mm-hmm. and um, in Alabama. And um, he had shared a lot of stories about uh, about them. And um, that sort of like really drove my interest in the March on Washington for jobs and freedom sure. and racial segregation. So um, then um, also um, there was a um, the, the case where my my uncle Percy, who was the science, the chemist, right, his home right. his home had been firebombed um, when he moved into a neighborhood outside of Chicago. Um, his he had been threatened. Uh, before that, and he decided to stay stay there at home. He was not going to move. Um, they mm-hmm. never did FBI investigate, and they never found out who who laid that bomb. And my cousins, uh, my cousins Faith and Percy Jr. were at home at the time when that bombing took place, and mm-hmm. they went through a lot of mental trauma with, with that. I can only but, imagine. Um, yes, but um, anyway, knowing this this history, I was proud, and he was going. And then my, um, but when I learned that my brother, my, my oldest brother was going and that me and my sister, my younger sister were not going, mm-hmm. we were very upset. Sure. We, we felt that we were being discriminated against because we were girls. Sure. Sure. So, um, we had to watch it live on television 
while he was at the march. Mm -hmm. And also we learned that our girl cousins who were they were 10 years older than us, but our girl cousins were also going to the march. So um, that was one of the big historical events that um, really enlightened me. Um, like I said, I was in tears when I heard Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's and just I, such a I'm sorry. It was just such a historic, iconic speech. I mean, just to be watching it as it was happening must have really been something. It was so profound and heart wrenching to me. And my, my mother was watching it and my, my other sister. And there was a man there at the time. Um, he was doing, um, um, carpentry, carpentry work, woodworking. And, uh, he stopped what he was doing and he watched it as well. And, um, actually it was a funny story that went along with that was they had a, my mother had a bet with him that he would not be finished the, the job before <laughs> my father got back home. So he nailed a dollar bill to the wall. <laughs> to the wall. It was a dollar bet. It was really kind of stupid bet. <laughs> yeah. Because it was like if he finished the job, then and my mother, um, and he kept the money, my father would be happy. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if he didn't finish the job, my mother would be a dollar richer and my <laughs> yeah. father would be mad. So hmm. it was kind of a weird, let's say a weird bet. Right, right. Anyway, um, yeah, that was one of the, um, but he did finish the job. Mm -hmm. So my father brought back from the march, he brought me back um, a button that's, um, it's um, a black hand and a white hand. It's the March on Washington commemorative mm -hmm. button. And I still have it. Um, it's sits in my button collection in my basement that I have framed. I oh. have a huge, huge uh, political memorabilia collection dating back to 1926. Oh, wow. Wow. That's, mm -hmm. you know, um, my late uncle collected buttons, too. He had all kinds of them. I mean, he, when he passed away, I mean, he literally had boxes and boxes and boxes of them. And a lot of them were from different historical events, you know, elections over the years, inaugurations. Um mm -hmm. And then just anything else that happened around town, you know, he had a whole bunch of like, remember in the seventies, they had that slogan, Baltimore is best. Yes. Yeah. I um, have one of those. Yeah. I've got them too. I've got a number of them out there. And then also, um, like I had mentioned, inaugurations, um, and you know, mayor, you know, mayoral elections in Baltimore, as well as, mm -hmm. um, presidential elections and, um, so many of them, so many of them he had. It was just really, you could sit there and look at them all day. It was just really, uh, really an, an amazing collection he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, mine, mine keeps growing and <laughs> it's yeah, growing sure. out of space, too. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, getting back to the march, um, what really struck me was the fact that there was like a missed opportunity there um, because mm -hmm. I really believe that that in, in, in what Martin Luther King once said that uh, that there is opportunity for everyone to be a part of the march on Washington. Mm -hmm. There was every there's a there is a part a part to play for every American in securing um, equal rights for all sure. Americans. Sure. And um, it, it, that that was written in one of his um, one of his his books. Um, some of the other historical events that took place. Of course, was the 1968 riots mm -hmm. in Baltimore. Oh yeah. My father was 
a good friend with the pharmacist um, who was Jewish. He owned this um, um, pharmacy store around the corner from our house, which we patronized. Um, we, my sisters and brothers would go there to get snowballs. They had a snack bar there. Um, we would get fountain cokes. We would um, get snacks, potato chips, whatever. We'd ride our bikes <laughs> over there. We were not frequent customers. We knew the um, we knew his sons by their names, and we would just go there all the time. And um, unfortunately, his store was hit by the van uh, by the uh, rioters, the looters, and it was um, it was burned. And my my um, siblings and I watched watched this go up in smoke from um, uh, one of the porches at our house. Um, but the sad what was even more sad was the friendship between my father and um, the pharmacist. What happened was my um, father went to help him on the on the day before the when when we knew that riots were coming. Um, and so he called um, the pharmacist, Dr. Dick, Dr. Arnold Dickman, and told him that he feared that his store was going to be targeted. So my father and him met up at the drugstore and they started boxing up all the items that they could possibly get out of the store mm-hmm. before it was hit. And my father boxed up some items and took them to our house in, uh, for safekeeping and hid them under the porch of our house. My mother was not delighted to see this because she was frightened that someone had seen him bring those items into our home. Oh, sure. And frankly speaking, I was, I was scared myself. Mm -hmm. And um, all that evening after his store was hit, we could smell smoke. Mm. We could, we could um, feel heat. Yep. In the burning buildings. We could fear the rumble, hear the rumbling of the National Guard tires, mm-hmm. and we didn't sleep at all for a couple of nights in a row. Oh, sure. And um, it was really, I, I, it was hard to describe because the way it all began was my dad got a phone call from my uncle out in Randallstown. This was on, um, let's see, that's it started in Baltimore on Saturday, Saturday afternoon. Uh-huh. My father got a call from my uncle in Randallstown on Friday night that rioting had begun in Washington, D.C. But based on the phone call, I only heard my father put down the phone and say, there's going to be trouble. And I asked him, what kind of trouble? And he didn't answer. Uh-huh. And he was stone faced. And I'd never seen that look on his face before he refused to talk. And I thought first someone had died. I thought maybe a family member passed away. Sure. But he went straight to the television and turned it on. And that's when he saw what was happening 43 miles, 45 miles away. Uh-huh. And so, um, like I said, the riding didn't start in Baltimore till the next day. And that's right. when he called his pharmacist friend. But, um, yeah, the, his pharmacist friend lost everything that day. And um, my dad, um, he was one of the, I think it was close to 100 black leaders who were called to the state um, office building by uh-huh. um, then Governor Agnew um, following the riots. 
and he lambasted all of them for not doing anything and not doing enough for not doing anything to stop it. Mm-hmm. And the truth was that my dad risked his life because he went to that store mm-hmm. and looters were in that store at the time. Mm-hmm. And he risked his life going there and he went on live on television and he spoke publicly to um, encourage people to, to um, it to be peaceful to stop looting and stop rioting and stop the arsons. Mm-hmm. And yet here where the governor was um, angrily debasing the people, the same people who had voted for him, who had elected him over another candidate um, who, wrote, who ran on a policy of um, your home is your castle, protect yeah, it, right, which right. was a dog whistle, a dog whistle for racists. Sure, sure. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, your father, I mean, just reading through the book about him, I mean, he, you know, from the very beginning all the way through, just really, um, seemed like a stand up guy and a real pillar of your community over there where a lot of people really admired him. You know, he was the doctor, you know, he was called upon for a lot of different things like the rally at Memorial stadium. And he also um, ended up representing your district in the city council later on and definitely didn't deserve that kind of scathing, you know, um, criticism, you know, from him uh, from um, Agnew at the time. Um, Just a real shame, just a real shame um, about that. Um, But, he just really seems again, you know, from the way you described him and, you know, all the things that he accomplished in life, just a real stand up pillar of the community, you know? He was, he, he served nearly three terms as a uh, Baltimore city councilman dating back to 1966, 67. Mm-hmm. And, um, he, uh, passed away in 1978 suddenly. Um, but he had a, he had a, a really strong voice, um, uh-huh. independent voice within city council. Um, he was the first uh, position to serve on the Baltimore City Council's health committee. Uh-huh. Sure. He was sponsored um, legislation uh-huh. um, dealing with many of the health issues in Baltimore. Yeah. Um, yeah. The um, There is a community center, a daycare center named after him in West Baltimore. Um, he was just a... Uh, a prolific person and he was I, I get very tearful when I talk about him because he was he was a very uh, influential um I, I and I, I rarely use the word politician because of the negativity that's associated with today yeah but I understand he was a right. prolific leader, leader. Um, yep. um and um I was just so proud of him um as, as, as a figure in Baltimore Oh, sure. I mean, uh, again, you know, the way you described him and everything you said in the book, I mean, just a real stand up person, a real uh, pillar of, you know, somebody. And I'm, you know, I'm sure a lot of people really admired him uh, because of all the things that he did and, um, you know, for not only his family, but for the community, you know, um, definitely somebody that, you know, Baltimore was better off having had, I would say. If that makes sense, he would, yeah. He would go head to head with um then mayor um mayor Schaefer. <laughs> they were <laughs> on the sides of the opposite sides a lot, but mm-hmm. but he was uh 
he was outspoken, but he mm-hmm. was independent and he spoke his voice and he would, he would, his, um, his uh, campaign slogan was, um, was he was, a, he was the voice. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great. Well, oh, good keep, his, keep his strong voice speaking for you. That yep. was his slogan. Mm. Yes. That's 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 a good slogan. That's a good slogan. I'm just you know, trying to be going up against Mayor Schaefer. I tell you, he was a character. And, oh, definitely. Um, that <laughs> he he's just a legend. Um, everything about him, you know, all the time he spent as mayor. Um, we we had some real characters in city government throughout the years. Um, him, you know, Mimi DePietro, to name just a couple of them. Um, <laughs> it just you know. Those were the days with those guys. I got to tell you, you know, I don't have to tell you, you you were here too, but you know, um, Mimi DePietro used to call me little girl. Oh, yeah. Even though, even though I was, um, at that time I was 16, 17 years old, he would call mm-hmm. me little girl. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> and, uh, uh, Mayor Shaver would call me that too. Oh, yeah. Huh. Little girl. <laughs> yeah. Little yes. girl. Um, I, I can remember when, um, got all the things that he did over the years. Um, the one I remember the most, um, cause I was in middle school at the time, he had a bet that they wouldn't get the aquarium done in time and he lost and he ended up having to go into the seal tank in that old bathing suit. Yeah. With the straw hat. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is, that's an iconic photograph there. It really yes. is. It, it really is. It really is. Um, so I liked uh, the part that you were talking about a lot of the toys that you had, because a lot of these were still out there when I was growing up too. you know, not only me, but my, uh, you know, siblings had them. Um, but one really interesting thing, cause I'm just a showbiz and pop culture geek, um, a Kathy doll that you had, yes. and yes. you had mentioned that the voice of the actual doll was actually June foray. And of course, Rocky the Squirrel, the doll in the Twilight Zone, dozens and dozens of other cartoon characters. And, um, you know, the, uh, and now she's the actual voice of an actual doll. I never knew that about her. So I really, uh, I got a kick out of that fact that you put that in there. Yeah, I did a little investigating on that when I was, uh, uh-huh. was, um, um, looking into the Chatty Cathy doll, um, mm-hmm. the history of the Chatty Cathy doll. Um, she was a very unique doll in that. Oh, she was the first uh, doll with the uh, string, the string you pulled. Yeah, the string in the talked. back. Yeah. Uh-huh. And the, the, the problem with that doll was the g- girls would pull that string and pull it and pull it and pull it. Pull it and mm-hmm. finally, the string would broke. And if you go online to look for a Chatty Cathy doll now, it's hard to find one that has a working string. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure. Every, I mean, you, you see those out there, you know, collectors and all, yeah, everybody has those and they're selling them on eBay and stuff. And um, mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, one of those dolls would last this long without the string just dry rotting or disintegrating. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah they're plus, there. plus um, in my, in the book, I, I point out that, um, Chatty Cathy would say things that were not in sequence with what you were doing at the time. I mean, <laughs> yeah. it was like um, pull your string and then say, "I fell down," and you're ha- and you're having a tea party, and she says, "I fell down." 
But then you pull her string again and she may have a cookie. Yeah. <laughs> kind of reminds me of the grandmother in the uh, Christmas vacation movie sitting at the dinner table, you know, is <laughs> just saying all these off the wall things. Is Rusty still in the Navy? You know, that kind of reminds me of that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, but toys yeah, were so great so. back then. Um, they were. From time to time, I, I look on YouTube and I see all these old toy commercials from back in those days. And I just remember of all the things that I had and all the things that I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just really uh, great. You know, I mean, one thing was, um, that I can remember from back in those days was, did you ever have lawn darts? Oh, yes. Yeah. I t- <laughs> They're finally banned. You know, you can't get those anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, the way they make them now is they actually rounded the end and they put bean bags in them uh-huh. and, you know, you have to use them that way. And, um, and I'm just wondering, you know, you never have people getting injured while they're playing cornhole. You know, I, I think I'm, I'm almost willing to bet that some of these lawn dart accidents may have been on purpose. I don't know. What Could have you... been. Could <laughs> have been. Well, my 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 younger sister, she wanted she, well, always on her Christmas list was was um, the um, what do you call it? The, you jump up and down. Um, Pogo stick. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, she was talking. Pogo stick. Yeah. But um, my father said, no, we were not getting a pogo stick. Mm -hmm. And she would say, (laughs) why? He said, because I don't want you to bust your teeth out or I don't want you to break your legs or break your Mm -hmm. ankle. Right. But she kept putting it on the list and putting on the list, but she never Mm -hmm. got one. Your father, again, you're being very aware of, I mean, I'm sure that, um, a lot of the toys that he probably said no to were um, based on people coming to him because they had them and they got hurt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, probably, most likely, most probably likely. had probably had buddies downtown at the emergency room, you know, talking about all the top toys from back in those mm-hmm. days that were uh, causing the most injuries. <laughs> the most injuries we had were from our bicycles. Yes, yes, I like that story too. Uh, you told me, and I had a similar one. Um, do you want to tell yours first? Um, the oh, the one about the when I got on my brother's bike. The one that was too big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My 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 brother um dared me to to ride his bicycle. He had an English racer, and it had handbrakes, and I was unaware of how handbrakes work on a bike. And plus, I was I was very petite, and he mm-hmm. was much taller than I was. So this bet was kind of ridiculous to begin with. Mm-hmm. So. Um, he kept nagging me to get on this bike. So I mm-hmm. said, okay, I'm getting on the bike. My bike, personal bike, I received a birthday present when I was seven years old. Mm-hmm. And I rode that bike until I was 13. Meanwhile, my brothers and sisters had changed bikes a lot of times. Mm-hmm. So he dared me to get on this bike. And um, I rode it up the street. And then I turned the corner on Aruna. And that was fine. but I was bent over, could barely feet, could barely reach the pedals. Uh-huh. And um, then I went around the corner and the bike began to pick up speed and it had to go down this slope because there was an alleyway. Uh-huh. So my plan was to go around the alley entrance and go back up on the sidewalk. Well, that didn't happen. In essence, what happened was... The bike kept picking up speed, and 
I kept pedaling instead of pulling, putting the handbrakes. <laughs> and I panicked. So I was on Bezalow Street, which is a busy street. Yep. And ended up on Edmondson Avenue intersection and cars were, were racing by in both directions. They were honking their horns and all. And, um, I feared for my life. I thought I was going to die that day. Mm. I was sweating profusely and I ended up within it wasn't even 50 feet, maybe 25 feet of hitting this fire engine that was parked outside the firehouse. This man came out of nowhere and pulled up the back, um, the back of the bike off the ground and stopped it on a dime. <laughs> and um, he was my guardian angel that day. And he said to me, uh, get off the bike. And I said, no problem. And he said, this is not your bike, is it? And I said, no, it's my brother's bike. And he said, if I were you, I would walk that bike home, <laughs> which I did. Um, I had never seen that man before. He was my, he was the angel. He saved my life that day. I never saw him again, but um, I thank God that I'm still alive. <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I walked around, walked around to the corner and looked and there my brother and sister were standing there. Mm -hmm. So I did get back on the bike and I rode it up to the garage and put the kickstand down and acted like nothing ever happened. Mm. <laughs> uh, I, I had a very similar thing happen to me. Um, there were, you know, some older kid in the neighborhood had a 10 speed and it was too tall for me. And I'd gotten on it and I was just, you know, you know, uh, rocking back and forth on it. Then I started I lost control as I was riding it mm -hmm. and um, I was heading right for this, you know, elderly woman. And I, on my bike, you would pedal backwards and that was your brake. Okay. You know, on this one that had hand brakes and I couldn't reach it. And I tried to pedal, I tried to, you know, pedal backwards, but it just, on 10 speeds, it didn't stop. You would keep going backwards like that. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't push the bike backwards, but, and, um, I couldn't stop. And I ran this lady over and we both, and I flew over the handlebars and landed in the bushes. And, um, needless to say, she wasn't very happy with me and neither was my father. And cause I had to go home and, um, it's like now that you know, she told me, she was, who are you? And she was, I know who you are. And I know who your parents are. You go home and get your father and you bring them back here right now. And I was like, yes, ma'am. And it, nowadays, kids would just run away. <laughs> you know, the, yeah, yeah. But, but that, yeah, I did. I went home and I got my father. We went over there and, you know, it was a, uh, they call it nowadays a teachable moment. You know, um, I definitely, uh, there was some discipline involved. Definitely. You know, I was punished for a couple of days and uh, oh. told not to let people talk me into doing dumb things. But um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I, can't, I, I saw you talking about that being on a bike that was too big. And I was like, oh, my God, I remember that, you know. Yes, um, yes. Yep. This this was just such um, I, I really, you know, um, as I mentioned before, this is just a really well done book. Just such a nice, um, you know, just such a great story that you told, you know, living through all these different things. Um, you know, throughout history, um, you know, from the time you were a child up into your you know, young adulthood, um, you didn't mention in your book, um, much of, you know, early anything about, um, except 
that you were on the radio um, in the back of the book, but um, you have been on, you know, a good number of stations around the Baltimore area over the years when you spent your career in radio. Um, Is there anything you'd like to share about those years with us before we wrap up? Well, one of the uh, funny things I'd like to share is how how I um, I got into radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a summer intern at WFBR Radio, oh, which yeah. was the home of Charlie Ekman, the sportscaster uh, Charlie Ekman, and mm-hmm. um, the shock jock at the time was uh, Johnny Walker. Johnny Walker. Yes, yes. So um, that summer, as an intern, I was what they call a gopher. Mm-hmm. I would go for this, go for that, anything that anybody <laughs> wanted. I would go to the store to get, I mm-hmm. would file things away. I would empty the trash cans, I'll get people coffee, whatever. But my real interest was getting into the newsroom. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, Tom Marr, um, who was my mentor at the time. Oh, sure. Um, he, um, he went to our boss, Harry Schreiber, and asked for a pay raise. Uh-huh. And we knew he was going to ask for one because we were sitting around the newsroom. He says, I'm going there right now and ask for a pay raise. And we said, oh, good luck, good luck, good luck with that. So he went in there and it was about time um, for him to leave because he usually left the station around right after the conference call program, which uh-huh. I moderated. And uh, he goes in Harris Schreiber's office. He's in there maybe every 20 minutes. He comes back in with this disgusted look on his face. So we said, well, did you did you get the um, did you get the raise? And he goes, no, I didn't. And I said, oh, that's terrible. So he picks up the phone and he calls out to the switchboard. And the woman who was operating the switchboard at the time was not the regular switchboard operator. She was sitting in for the for her. So he calls out there and he says, can you page Jack Benny to the newsroom? (laughs) So Jack Benny. I don't know if you know this, but Jack Benny was a, a comedian oh, I love on the him. television, and oh, he yeah. was known as a miser. Mm-hmm. Yes, he, yes. He did not. <laughs> he did not spend any money. Mm-hmm. So um, he called, asked the woman to page Jack Benny to the newsroom. <laughs> yes. So the woman, the switchboard operator, she didn't know who Jack Benny was. Oh. And she didn't know who Tom Marr was. <laughs> so she paged Jack Benny to the newsroom. So it just so happened that Harry Schreiber, who was the head of the station, had left the building for lunch, but his secretary was there. She came storming out of her office and she was screaming, who paged Jack Benny to the newsroom? (laughs) This is not funny. Meanwhile, we were in the newsroom just rolling, rolling, laughing Mm because it was was like the funniest thing we had ever heard. Oh, yeah. Funny, funny, funny. But then Tom Marr (laughs) left the building before... Before the secretary came out of her office, he made his mad escape. Yeah. But I'm sure Harry Schreiber heard about that before he left the building. Before oh, yeah. he came back from lunch. When he came back from lunch. Oh, I'm sure he another, did. Another funny story is um, um, this is when I worked at, at WBAL Radio. Mm-hmm. It was a heat wave. And I was called out to do a story as, as a street reporter about how people were managing um, working outside in the, in the heat. So I talked to the local mailman up in Roland Park. Oh, sure. And yeah. he said, oh, I've got plenty of water in my truck and I've got a fan and, and this and that. And then I interviewed a woman who was jogging and she said the same thing. I try to stay cool by drinking water, water, water. 
So then I went to the um, golf course at Forest Park and I pulled up the news van and uh, got out and I met this um, golfer who was in a golf cart and I'd never been on a golf course before. So while I was talking to him, I said, how are you managing in the, in the heat? How's your golf game going? Is it better? Is it worse? So he said, actually, I think it's better. So I'm listening to him and my tape recorder is going on. Then all of a sudden I hear this hissing sound. I said, what is that hissing sound? But I didn't say it out loud. So I'm listening to the man, man, he's describing the heat, how the heat related weather and all. And then I heard this hissing sound again. So he says, well, it was nice talking with you. He says, I really got to go. I got to go finish the finish my rounds on the on the course. I said, OK, it was nice meeting you. So I turn around and I say, what is that hissing sound? And then the hissing sound came on again and I found out what it was. What was that? <laughs> it was the um, it was water that came up out of the ground. Mm hmm. The sprinkler system. Oh, I, was okay. I was standing on top of it. <laughs> and the water came straight up my dress and ruined my sandals. Oh, jeez. But the good thing was, it was so hot that my clothes dried almost instantly. Oh, yeah. That'll do it that so way. I went I back. Know. I went back to the news car, went home, which was not too far from there, changed my clothes, went back to work. Mm -hmm. And one of my coworkers said, Hey, that wasn't what you were wearing earlier today. He said, what happened? And I, all I said was water, lots of water. <laughs> That's great. That's great. You know, th th there was a lot of history in radio in Baltimore. Um, a lot of the great personalities and people that you would just, you know, yourself. And then you, know, you just mentioned Tom Marr, Harry Shriver, Charlie Ekman, Johnny Walker, so many more out there too. And, um, I'd love to, you know, chat another time when you're ready, you know, to, uh, you know, elaborate on, you know, those years some more. I'm sure you saw quite a bit, you know, just with the uh, stations that you worked on and everything. Um, that, I would be, and I'm sure my listeners would absolutely love that as well, you know. So um, I appreciate you again, again, joining us tonight. Um, you know, the book is Reflections, My Journey on Aruna, Rose Earl Julian West. Now, uh, where can we get this book? The book is available on Amazon.com slash books. You can go online and order mm -hmm. that. You can also preview my book by going to ReflectionsMyJourney.com. Okay, great, great. And um, is it available in stores around Baltimore, too? Oh, not yet, but I'm working on that. And I'm You're also working on, working on uh, getting it uh, in the form of an ebook. Oh, hey, that, that, that's, a, that's a popular thing now, too. And mm -hmm. Um, an ebook. You mean um, like a um, like a Kindle book, like a Kindle, like you would read it like a PDF, not a audio mm -hmm. book. Right. Okay. Okay. Because they have those. Uh, obviously, they have those as well too. So, mm -hmm. uh, well, again, thank you so much for joining us. You heard. Um, again, you can get the book Reflections. Um, the links to get Reflections: My Journey on Aruna will be in the show notes. Everybody. And I would like to thank you for joining us tonight. It was a great book, a great read. I really enjoyed it, and I enjoyed having you come on to tell your stories. Thank you so much, and I would like to thank uh, all of my editors for their hard work in making my dream come true of becoming a published author. I'd like to thank Christine McKee 
And I'd like to thank uh, Jackie Oldham again for making my dream come true. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, you heard it here, folks. Uh, please go out and uh, buy this book. It's well worth the read. Um, and we will see you all next time. This is Michael Spedden signing off on Foul Players Radio. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Hello, listeners. We at Foul Players Radio thank you for all of your support over the past 10 seasons and nearly 300 episodes. We would like to encourage you to keep listening and spread the word. Audio versions of all episodes can be found on our main website, foulplayersradio.com, as well as on many of the other platforms you can see here. You can find all of our Season 9 and 10 episodes, as well as some best-of episodes and shorts on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash at foulplayersradio. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to get alerts when new episodes are released. No matter what platform you choose to listen, you can help us greatly by hitting the subscribe button and giving us an honest review. You can also help us by supporting us at patreon.com slash foulplayersradio or at buymeacoffee.com slash foulplayerw. Your support makes it possible for us to continue to be your one-stop shop for all of your pop culture needs. Be sure to follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for new episode announcements and news and updates on all of our guests. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. And thank you again for listening to Foul Players Radio tonight. Our guest was Rose Earl Julian West, the author of Reflections, My Journey on Aruna. Links to her book can be found in the show notes of this episode. If you're interested in professional comedic entertainment for your venue, fundraiser, or other event, please consider a murder mystery from the Foul Players of Perryville. For bookings and other information, please call 443-600-0446, email foulplayersperryville at yahoo.com, and our website is www.foulplayersofperryville.com. Don't miss the back of the rack, the Michael Spedden Show on 97underground.com, Baltimore's pure rock worldwide. We feature songs that you forgot you liked, current and classic local rock, hard rock and metal classics that never die. Tune in every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern and listen on your computer or download the app so you can listen everywhere you go, 97underground.com. We at Foul Players Radio are proud to support the artists that we have on our show, and we encourage you to consider shopping small and supporting them as well. Links to their books, albums, tickets to their shows, and other items can be found in the show notes of every episode. We thank you again for tuning in and listening. Remember, you can help us greatly by clicking the like and subscribe buttons and giving us a fair review. Our main website is foulplayersradio.com, and our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash at foulplayersradio. So we will see you all next time, and we hope you enjoyed this show. This is Michael Spedden signing off.